0: We said it's a form of spiritual crisis where the soul is denied the requisite nutrients, atmosphere, and attention, thereby becoming desolate. If you follow our teaching, you're going to get it, so you don't need to make notes on this one. We said it's the deficient and sick state of the man or woman who refuses to grow spiritually. We said it's a state of feeling depleted And empty spiritually Spiritual dryness Is a state of feeling depleted Empty And dried up spiritually And we explain that the effect of spiritual dryness Can affect your thoughts Your emotions Your behavior Your conduct Your words And everything about your life Praise God We said that we all, one way or the other, go through dryness. One way or the other. But how we deal with it is so necessary. We explained that the other time. And we said that spiritual dryness, when left unattended, can cause great harm to the spiritual health of the believer. A great man of God in the 18th century named D.L. Moody normally always normally always was stressing on the on the infilling of the believer continuously was asked that why do you normally stress on the on on the constant feeling of the believer and his answer was straight he says because I leak and that I think was so deep if we always think that we leak not leaking in a sense that the Holy Ghost drains out of us we leak because His influence, his anointing, it leaks. How does it leak? Don't think of it as water leaking. When you are bombarded so much with the things of this world, it can leak out your spirituality or your spiritual investment I wish you get that teaching it can help you we, said we we had different names for classifying spiritual dryness, we said it can also be called spiritual sickness there are believers who can be sick spiritually we also call it weakness in spiritual life we also call that coldness and lukewarmness in spirituality we also call that powerlessness in spirituality we call that a life devoid of God's power and we explain that the Christian life Is lived by God's power The Christian life is not pos- it's not Difficult without the spirit It is impossible without the spirit It takes the spirit To live a victorious Christian life Therefore Not living by the influence And empowerment of the Holy Ghost Can be catastrophic to your work with God You cannot do it Without partnering the Holy Spirit Very important Hallelujah. Now, we said that spiritual dryness in itself is not a problem because it's not a problem in itself because the awareness of our spiritual dryness is a gift from God. You're beginning to sense that you are depleting spiritually. It's God's gift to you. It's an alarm system God placed in you to help trigger an alarm inside you an awareness for you to know your need to refuel your Christian life or empower again your spiritual life are you following this thing at all hallelujah so we said however spiritual dryness becomes a problem when number one you do not notice that you are becoming dry We said number two, it becomes a problem when you do not recognize that God is the answer to your need. There are many Christians who are trying to look for solutions outside of God. And they have applied so much energy and force and today they are draining out. Number three, we said when you become too exhausted or busy to connect to God that's when dryness becomes a problem when you become so exhausted or busy to connect to god number four we said becomes a problem when you keep ignoring god's attempt in signaling you to align refuel, and refresh listen every believer has something in him that that tells him that he's running dry if you are completely out of coverage area in your work with god you caused it it is simple disobedience to god's promptings inside you are you following this thing thank you holy spirit so we explained some different realities that a car cannot move without fuel And a believer also cannot advance with with dryness. You cannot advance in your walk with God when you are dry. We have many Christians who are trying to advance God's kingdom dry. How is that possible? Now, there is something unhappy in the Old Testament which I believe would help you. When you study the book of Leviticus chapter 6 to verse 9 remember in the tabernacle of Moses there were six major articles of furniture that made up the tabernacle first of all there was the outer court secondly there was the inner court and thirdly there was the holy of holies now when you are the outer court there were two main furniture there the first furniture you see in the outer court is what we call the altar of sacrifice now, on the altar of sacrifice, you burn animals or holy giving to God. So you kill the animal, you slaughter the animal after the sins of the nation or the individual has been laid upon the animal. You slaughter the animal, you cut the animal into pieces, you spread the animal on the altar of sacrifice and burn it with fire. That's the first article of furniture you see there. The second article of furniture is what we call the the uh, the. Bronze lava or the brazen lava it was actually an article or artifact for washing hands because the priests were stained by the blood of the animals and by the dust on their feet because the tabernacle had dust on the ground so the more you walk there, dust stains your feet so they were supposed to use the water to wash their hands and wash their feet then they advanced into the tabernacle proper the first article you see in the tabernacle proper which is called the holy place or the inner court is called the lampstand or the menorah which was a lighting system that was to lighten up the place in the holy place the next thing you see is what we call the table of showbread which is also called the table of his presence where 12 loaves of bread were placed there for Israel to fellowship with God by dining on the same table the next artifact you see or the next furniture you see is what we call the altar of incense the one outside was the altar of sacrifice the other was the altar of incense so coals of fire are taken from outside on the altar of sacrifice and the coals are transferred into the altar of incense and they place incense into it and the incense burns and rises up to god are you following this from there you enter into the holy of holies and in the holy of holies the furniture you see there is what we call the ark of covenant and that was what carried the shekinah glory of god following so now we explain that all these articles were actually types and shadows of a reality we have in christ in the new testament the altar of sacrifice was to depict that our sins were laid on christ because he was a sacrificial lamb and there was an exchange he took our place and we took his place and then he was wholly given bent as an offering to god he dealt with the judgment of our sins when he was bent and wholly offered to god on the cross so christ fulfilled that aspect please follow this The next furniture you see is the all the brazen lava, which was used for washing, it signifies Christ being our sanctification because He washed us, cleansed us. First Corinthians 6:12, the Bible says, But ye are washed, ye are justified, and ye are sanctified in the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. So, the brazen lava is Christ as our sanctification. We move into the next activate in the tabernacle proper, which is called the lampstand, which is Christ being the word and light to us. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, so He is the true, He's a true menorah or the lampstand. He's our light. We can't find light outside of Christ. Praise God! Then you advance further into what we call the altar of incense. Incense smells with a beautiful aroma. Signifies that the work of Jesus Christ was well pleasing to God. It also signifies the prayer life of Jesus. He was a man of prayer. Hallelujah. Then you enter in the Holy of Holies. You see what? The Ark of Covenant. Jesus, remember there was a veil that was in between the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. When Christ died, that veil torn, was rent into two. From top to bottom Telling us that now we have access To the Shekinah glory of God We have access into God's presence So every believer has been given access To come into God's presence at any time But we explain that This reality must be seen first of all In the light of Christ And secondly in the light of the church Christ fulfilled all the articles or the artifacts in the tabernacle But when we are born again we are also brought back outside to re-begin that same process in an attempt to gain what we call intimacy so we also begin that same process from the outer court but this time that journey is called the pursuit for intimacy so now this time the out of sacrifice is no longer christ giving himself for you as a sacrifice for your sins now it is you giving yourself to him as a bent offering your life now must be well pleasing to him as a well offering, as a burnt offering. That's when you give your life to Christ. So no man can give his life to Christ before salvation. You can only give your life to Christ after salvation. In salvation, God gives his life to you after salvation, you give that life back to him. Are you following this? But remember, in Leviticus, this is where the bomb is. In Leviticus chapter 6, the verse 9 24. Sorry, Leviticus chapter 9, the verse 24. Give that to me in NLT on the altar of sacrifice where the animal is bent. That fire that came was not set up by any man. In fact, any man that tries to set up that fire is called strange fire. In fact nadab and his colleague went to set up a strange fire and they were killed instantly they were trying to set up a fire god did not set and they were killed the fire on the altar of sacrifice was set or kindled by god and in leviticus chapter 9 verse 24 watch that the bible says fire blazed from who the lord's presence so who kindled the fire the lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar when the people saw this they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground so on the altar of sacrifice the first time fire was spoken of god sent that fire and it consumed the sacrifice please follow this who set the fire god who set the fire one more time who set the fire It's a very important foundation. I want you to note. The fire was kindled by God on the altar of sacrifice. But after that fire came once. Listen carefully. That fire did not come from God again. In Leviticus chapter 6. Check it out quickly. From the verse 8. Now God gave an instruction or a command. And said something to the priest. Look. And the law speak unto Moses saying Please follow this teaching Don't be distracted Follow this teaching He says command Aaron and his sons Saying this is the law of the bent offering So there was an instruction There was a law governing that bent offering Who set the fire? Uh-uh. I can't hear you Who set the fire? I can't hear you Who set the fire? Good He says this is the law of the burnt offering It is the burnt offering Because of the burning upon the altar When All The fire is supposed to burn? The fire is supposed to burn? All night unto the morning and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. Watch the next verse. And the priest shall put on his lining garment and his lining breeches shall he put upon his flesh and take up the what? Uh -uh. Take up the ashes which the fire has consumed with a bent offering on the altar and he shall put them beside the altar following so god said to the priest one of your responsibilities is to take ashes from that consumed uh, wood and place it outside of that bent offering are you watching this next verse watch he says and he shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place now Next verse. Are you following at all? Look, shall we read it together? One two, go. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And lay burnt offering in other upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. Next verse. the fire shall the fire shall one more time the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar it shall never go out follow who set the fire who is to keep the fire let me repeat that again who set the fire who keeps the fire one more time Who set the fire? Who keeps the fire? How does he keep the fire? God said to them by instruction that they are to remove the old wood that has now become ashes and replace it with new wood and keep the fire always burning. Listen carefully. This teaching will help you know why your spiritual life is going down and you don't understand why. In salvation, God set the fire in your life ablaze. That's like when you're born again there's some excitement. There's some joy in your heart. You just want to do the work of God, you don't understand why. After one year, check your life now. Check your life now. You think you are upgrading you know there are people today even pastors think that the more you do the work of god the more relaxed you should become so now we have pastors who just walk in a prayer meeting if they just pocket and then hey, le-le. Hey, le-le. Hey, <laughs> they just go and sit on the back they are watching there. Say young fire young fire it's a joke the saints who died some few hundred years ago? The fire they started with. They died with that same fire. Because God instructed. You see it was by law. That the fire must ever be burning. And it shall not go out. So God set the fire. Just like he sets fire in us. In salvation. Ah, please are you following this thing at all? Are you getting some understanding? Do you know that the Bible tells us that uh, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, look at what John said. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm unworthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Who set the fire? Who sets the fire in us? are baptized with the holy ghost and with fire so every believer was baptized with fire can i shock you again acts chapter 2 verse 1 on the day of Pentecost, when it had come the bible says they were they were all in one accord in one place then he says suddenly the verse 2 there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting observe this please watch it don't be distracted watch he says and there appeared glowing tongues like as of fire and set upon each one of them God showed us this for us to know that they are not the only people who had the fire it was just appearing physically to let us see what happens to us spiritually are you following this? so every believer receives an empowerment through fire every believer became born again with fire so if there is no fire in your life it means you failed as a priest it's that simple it means you killed the fire listen to this it means you disobeyed god as a priest god set the fire god did not say this fire i've set is an eternal fire God commanded and said this fire shall ever be burning. And it was the duty of the priest to take off the ashes. Uh -uh. Follow this. Can I shock you? Yesterday's wood is today's ashes. Am I blessing you? Yesterday's wood is today's. So the wood was supposed to be constantly put and the ashes were supposed to be taken. You know, some of you prayed one hour three months ago and you think that one hour is still sustaining you. It is ashes. You read your Bible two months ago and you thought that Bible reading you did is covering you. You you are playing with ashes. You are supposed to remove the ashes, keep it outside of that sacrifice and put new wood in constantly. See, see, watch this. Who is supposed to monitor the fire? in other words it is the duty of the priest to monitor the fire and make sure it does not go out it is your duty to monitor God's fire in your life to make sure it does not go out he didn't get this there I feel I'm not preaching to anybody here God doesn't do the inspection you are to monitor and inspect your spiritual life listen this thing has saved me I'm telling you anytime you fail to keep your spiritual disciplines to keep your fire know that you are joking with ashes and guess what ashes can't burn for long the more you keep burning ashes soon the fire will die because it is fresh wood that keeps the fire alive The constant, daily, continuous spiritual disciplines is what keeps your fire alive as a Christian. You know, there are many people who are depending on God to come and do this thing for you. When you understand understand this thing, it will save you. you. You now realize that whatever you are going through today has always been you. Who killed your fire? Who killed your fire? Oh, answer! Who killed your fire? It's no human being. You did it. See, man of God, Those times, those times, I I could pray five hours. What about now? Unfaithful priest. Those times when I take my Bible eh, Why are you rejoicing in those times? You are rejoicing about ashes Uh, uh. (laughs) You are You you, you are giving a testimony Of ashes Do you know what they did to the ashes? God told them to take the ashes outside the camp So the prayer you prayed uh, Is outside the camp now that's why you don't you don't rejoice in yesterday's victory because yesterday's victory in your spiritual work is now what ashes see yesterday's wood did yesterday's work (laughs) are you getting this thing yesterday's wood did what yesterday's work You cannot use yesterday's wood To do tomorrow's work So a pastor who does not pray Before he ministers Is A musician who does not pray Before he holds the microphone An usher who does not pray A Christian who does not pray Before he goes to work Is trying to gather ashes For today's work you see how your life has become so dry you are easily depressed having you realize it it's all indication that you are trying to operate with ashes it's not dead the fire is dead it's dead fire is dead all what you're doing you're, you're just pretending it's there it's not there there are many pastors pretending it's there it's not there the fire is dead so now they are behaving as fathers fire is dead. Now they are behaving as fathers. I see they are the ones coaching, fire, die. He's dry. If many pastors knew this, if many Christians knew this, it would have saved them from so many harms. Imagine your car has not half full and you are still trying to accelerate this thing. You will kill the angel. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Listen. The day the, f- the priest fails his duties, two people lose God and the priest. In fact, three people lose. God, the priest, and the people. I'm saying this by inspiration now. The day the priest fails his duty in monitoring the fire, three people lose. Who? God, him, and the people. So do you see, the more you get dry, you are not the only one in the equation. You become unfruitful and unproductive to God. And people suffer. The more Christians fail in their spiritual disciplines. The more people suffer. So you are not the only one suffering. God is first at stake. You are secondly at stake. And others are at stake. Imagine the fire is not working. And an Israelite comes to meet the priest. And tells the priest that I need to offer a sacrifice for my sin. That means if the fire is gone out. What happens to that man? He dies for his sin the world is perishing because Christians are sleeping the more spiritually dried believers we have in the church the more evil we abound the more prostitution we abound I'm telling you this is no joke if the priest fails to monitor that fire because it is the fire that burns and consumes the offering you can have the offering but without fire it can't be offered you cannot offer the, the offering by your own terms. Are you following this thing? You can't offer the offering by your own terms. It is done with fire. As long as the fire is alive, the offering will go. So if there is no fire, that means no offering is going to God. The priest has failed his duty and the priest has caused the people harm. Have you seen the three damages? So three people lose when you keep your dryness God, you and others if if this is the revelation that guides you, you realize that the the challenge is not condemnation, the challenge is concern if you have not read your Bible, don't feel condemned feel concerned I'm teaching good, and this will shock you (laughs) Do you know that in, on the altar of incense, where they burn incense to God? Right? Do you know that the, 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 the fire for the incense is taken as coal from the burnt offering? They take the coals from the burnt offering. They put it on the altar of incense and the incense is offered. What does the incense signify to us as Christians? Number one, prayer. Number two, worship. In other words, your prayer life and your worship life is all determined by the fire in your life. You cannot worship God effectively without fire. When I say fire, I'm just talking about your spiritual health. I'm talking about your spiritual capacity. I'm speaking of your spiritual nourishment. So don't just be thinking of just fires. Can I shock you again? Today I'll blow you off. Do you know that the first article you see when you enter inside is the altar of sacrifice, where the fire is consumed. Right? So, that is the first thing you see before you advance into the holy place as a priest. That means you begin your Christian life with fire before you can advance. See, when fire fails, the priest cannot continue his work. it is when the work on the first altar is done, he can now advance to the other artifacts until he enters the Holy of Holies. So we begin the Christian life with fire if we want to advance. Haven't you seen many Christians trying to advance God's word without fire? Many pastors start churches without fire. Many Christians start businesses without fire. It's the first thing you meet before you advance. In other words, your advancement is in the propensity of your fire. I'm telling you why you are failing. So that you can't blame God anymore. I'm teaching good here. So like I said, it is the fire That makes the offering acceptable. Without fire, no matter how big and worthy that animal is, it cannot be accepted as an offering. For an offering to be accepted as an offering, it has to be bent by fire. Follow this. Remember, I told you in the New Testament, this time around, as our responsibility, we are to offer ourselves as what? Living sacrifices to God. So we become the bent offering. In other words, without fire in our lives, our lives cannot be offered back to God. So have you seen how many Christians are trying to live for God, yet they can't? If we understand this, listen: in hell, fire fire torments; on earth, fire destroys; in heaven, fire purifies. So what fire is to us in our kingdom is purification. So the level of fire you have determines how pure your life will be. See, the more addictions begin to grow in your life, it's an indication you don't have fire. When a believer begins to increase grace and fire in his life, there are things that perches by themselves. You don't pray, God, I don't like what I'm doing. As you advance, they leave you. They dissolve. So, there are many Christians who are trying to stop an activity that is not holy to God by another means outside fire. You see what we are doing? Oh my God, I don't know what is happening to me. I'll tell myself I'll never masturbate again before I realize. I'll tell myself. You think that's how we stop? this is what I tell myself no this is what I tell myself this is work as you burn other things like chaff burns it, it burns as you burn addictions burn as you burn pornography burn as you burn are you following this thing So, only the quality things remain when things are burning. The chaff burns. So, there are some things that will leave you automatically. The more you advance, the more you are well nourished. Tell somebody, what's the state of your fire? Ask, what's the state of your fire? Is it dead? Is almost dead oh come on find out for the person is it dead or it's almost dead what the person say tell me someone says dead dead that dead, deadest dead. <laughs> hallelujah i'm teaching good here as i'm teaching you see be concerned about your life okay because I'm concerned about yours you know there are Christians who are not concerned about their spiritual life they are just not concerned they will hear teaching like this and they will just be watching you they will just leave this place and their life is still the same listen, you can't live your life like that I'm telling you because your godliness is profitable unto life that now is and is to come in other words, how godly you become determines how you live this life and the life to come so godliness profits you in time and eternity following godliness profits you in time and in eternity in other words if you don't listen to these things it'll you meet it one day in marriage i'm telling you you'll see it live and colored many people think we use common sense to 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 leave the marriage you'll be shocked when you realize that that man you have married or that woman you have married it's a whole system altogether. Ah. (laughs) let me shock you before you marry the true state of your maturity is measured by how you treat your wife let me explain I use myself as as an example as a pastor it is easy for me to be patient with you people it's easy for me to love you people when you sin against me it's very easy I'm telling you it's so easy though it's not easy anyway but it's easier to relate with your wife with the word of God is one of the toughest I'm telling you it is very difficult to be patient with your wife It is very difficult to give to your wife. It is very difficult to have the opportunity to fight with your wife in an argument and decide not to do it. It is difficult, especially when you are right. It is difficult to have a quarrel with your wife and the Holy Ghost tells you to go and make up. (laughs) It is difficult. So, if you want to see state of your real maturity check how you are treating your wife or your husband you you know it you know you are growing because others who don't stay with you it's easy to be patient with them my wife is a school and she also sees me as a master class Oh, and this is a serious matter. So if you want to really test your real patient, test it on your wife. That's when you know that this, this is well proven. Oh, I'm telling you. When you get married, you understand what I'm saying? Ah, it's easy to visit members, so it's, it's easy. Ah, to give to members, it's, it's easy. I'm telling you. Anyway, that's just by the way. Thank you, sir. <laughs> In an Amen. Fire, fire, fire. Signs of spiritual dryness. This is where I wanted to arrive. There are signs that you can see in your life that you are running dry, that, that something is wrong with your spiritual health. So, this is the, the, the meat detecting dryness. If you see this in your life, you don't need to feel it. If you hear this and it's not in your life, just know that it is either you are getting dry or you are dry. Quickly, number one, prayerlessness. But before I come to that place, I need to share a very important truth with you. Are you ready for this? Now, there are two major fuels of spiritual dryness. Two major things that fuels it. This will bless you. There are two major fuels of spiritual dryness. Please note this down because this will help you. Number one, major fuel of spiritual dryness is legalism. Number two, or the second fuel for spiritual dryness, is liberalism. I will explain. What is legalism, and how does it become a fuel for spiritual dryness? God, what are you saying? Let me teach you. Legalism is when you think that the whole Christian life depends on you and your performance, or depends on laws. You can call those people lawyers. There are many law Christians around. They feel that God accepts them because they are obedient to the Ten Commandments. There are people who teach that we should obey the Ten Commandments. They themselves can't memorize the Ten. And they feel that God accepts them because they obey the law. That's legalism. So to think that you are accepted on the basis of your performance is legalism. you say ah pharisees please are you following they are legalists i must do so that god can be happy if i don't do god is angry you know they relate with god on the basis of law so the moment they commit something or do something that's bad that means they are expecting god's punishment they're expecting that something bad will happen to them you are sin conscious Are you following this thing so legalism is one of the major fuels of spiritual dryness how believers who are legalistic are believers who think that their acceptance or unacceptance is dependent on what they do instead of knowing that their acceptance is dependent on what christ did if a believer is legalistic what is going to happen is that he's going to be sin conscious because the law gives you the knowledge of sin, but does not give you power over sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, the verse 20. He says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Unto I tell you, thou shalt not. You did not know that you doing or not doing it is a sin. Are you following this thing? So this pen was there. I never wanted to touch it. Until i said thou shall not touch this handkerchief then i began to have the awareness that touching this handkerchief is sin but the problem is that the law the, the law gives you the knowledge of sin but does not give you power over sin if i tell you don't think, don't think of a red cat has happened to you you are trying to think of a red cat that's what happens and you eventually by the next three days if you try you still think of a red card. so the law does not deal with the same problem it rather exposes the same problem that's how come the law is a shadow it's to lead us to christ to make us know how helpless we are now that we have christ there are still many christians who are trying to obey the law to be accepted and that's wrong anytime you are legalistic what is going to happen to you is that you are going to start to be sin conscious and then condemnation begins to affect you you begin to live in condemnation you think you have offended god you think that god is not happy with you you think you are going to hell you think nothing good can amount to you. You think, in fact, you are expecting God to punish you. The Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you read it, it tells us, if you do all these things, all these blessings shall come upon you. If you do not do all these commandments, all these curses shall come upon you. Now, many who are still preaching it. If you read Galatians 3.13, the Bible says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Thank God he did not redeem us from the blessings of the law. So he redeemed us from the curse and left the blessing for us. So every curse that is supposed to follow us in our disobedience of the law was taken by Jesus when Christ became a curse for us on the cross. If believers are not equipped with this revelation, what is going to happen is that their Christian life will be crippled because their lives will be filled with dooby-dooby-dooby-doo. Do, be, do, be, do, be. They they are just free with do. I must do if I don't do. You see, when you are legalistic, eh, you can never have a relationship with Jesus. Christians who are legalistic are people who have not seen God yet as a father. And how it causes spiritual dryness is that it cripples your work. It makes you live in condemnation. So all the spiritual duties you are supposed to attend to to enable you to increase in God is now forfeited because of condemnation. So you find a Christian who is thinking God is angry with him now because he knows that God cannot accept him again or he has done something God can never forgive him again now he decides that he won't pray again because it's too late. Are you seen that? So all the necessary things he's supposed to do to advance spiritually, he forfaces it because of condemnation. So that is how come legalism can be very dangerous. It cripples you. Please, did you get the thing? So tell somebody, don't be a legal Christian. That's number one fool. So, did you understand how it leads to spiritual dryness? Because it does what it cripples you, right? It makes you live in fear you cannot live in fear and come boldly at the same time to god's presence fear and torment will just hit you the bible says perfect love cast out fear so if you're not walking the perfect love of god before you realize you're coming to god you're shaking you feel anything that happens in the day you say it is god that is giving me signal of what is about to happen to me you know that life will cripple you you can never advance spiritually when you are praying and you remember you are active the devil said okay then he he replaced the event of what happened he replaced and said god does not accept this So and you are praying and the thing is the holy ghost anointing it's not anointing it's condemnation It cripples you. When you are fasting and you remember the sin, you said, just go and find something to eat. It's too late. God has given up on me. Then you just go and eat. You see, when you are reading the Bible, and all of a sudden the thought comes that you have offended God. God is not happy with you. All of a sudden, the joy to read the Bible is what? Gone. That's how you cripple your spiritual work. So every believer must know that nothing, nothing can separate him from the love of God. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you did. We have a better testament based on better promises. God is your father. And if you don't acknowledge that reality, you are going to be spiritually dry eventually. Tell somebody come out of it. For he loves you. See, the, the love of God is unconditional, I'm telling you. It's not like man's love, it's unconditional. It doesn't matter what you do. Listen, the love of God loves you the way you are, but his love does not leave you the way you are. If not, how does an arm robber receive salvation? Because if the arm robber comes and God said, we're not robbing and run, oh salvation, for the vehicle. you can imagine. God doesn't tell the armed robber to stop stealing before he's saved. He saves him and he empowers him to stop robbing. That's what God does. Are you following this? So the devil's duty is to behave like a hazi. After you have gone with the wealth of God, the devil comes to collect it back. He comes to collect it back. By making you feel unworthy before God's presence, that's what legalism does to your spiritual nourishment. The second thing that fuels spiritual dryness is liberalism. Am I teaching good here? Liberalism is simply freedom in excess. Freedom that has gone excess. In other words, now that Christ has saved me, he calls me a righteous man. I am holy. In other words, the work is finished. Nothing to be done. I'm already accepted. I can't do anything to be accepted by God. I'm forgiven. Past, present, future sins. I'm eternally saved. Good news. In fact, Christ is my intercessor. Because you hide him. So there's no need to pray. Christ is interceding for me. He is my personal intercessor. Jesus has, when Jesus was on earth, he fasted 40 days. If Christ did everything for me, he fasted for me. whatever i do doesn't add anything to my life Uh, you hear that right whatever i do doesn't count anymore because god loves me the way i am so what i do does not matter i'm free in christ it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you know people carried only that revelation now there are people who don't go to church again because the bible says our body is the temple that means we are the church so staying home doesn't make any difference you see where I can go to that's how people de- degenerate that's how people lose the faith because I'm God's temple there's no need to go to church no come on someone says anytime I'm conscious of God's love I'm already praying then we all think of God's love. So easy. So, liberalism is to think that nothing is to be done because Christ has finished the work. So, there are many liberal Christians out there who think the believer has no responsibility because Jesus took it all. That's another deception and one major fuel for spiritual dryness because when believers get to that place they eventually become lukewarm and lazy so on the side of legalism it makes them feel condemned and sin conscious and it cripples their faith on the side of liberalism it makes them lukewarm and makes them lazy because they think nothing is to be done that is how come I told you you need to understand in the new testament three things the finished work of Christ the current work of Christ and the future work of Christ the finished work of Christ is what Christ did for you without you the current work of Christ is what God through Christ is doing by the spirit in you in preparation for eternity you just look at your character do you think Christ has finished with you So there is an ongoing work by the power of the spirit in you and it will take place constantly until Jesus appears. Souls are still perishing. It's a current work. It's not a finished work. You have to live in holiness. It's not a finished work. You have to pray without ceasing. So praying without ceasing it's not a finished work. You have to live worthy to God. It's not a finished work. Are you getting this thing at all? So there are many Christians who have become liberal thinking that there is nothing to do because christ has done it all which has led them now into lukewarmness and laziness a christian kneels down and prays for two minutes and he says well since christ is interceding i don't need to do much someone says it is not in the long prayers bro it's in the long prayers I've explained to you that a great deal about prayer is not what prayer does for you. It's what prayer does to you. What prayer does for you is answered prayer. So the question is, after answering God answering your prayer, what next? What prayer does to you is the transformation. The more you remain in the waiting place, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew. It is the place of renewal. So if you see prayer as something you are just asking God for things, you will never advance. It is our place, our headquarters for renewal. That's where our strength is renewed. That's where we change our wood. Please, are you following this? So the moment you feel that Christ has finished the work, nothing is to be done It means number one, you don't even understand The difference between doctrine and instructions Because doctrine establishes believers in the faith Instructions gives us an outline Of our practical Christian living And the New Testament is filled with Doctrine and instructions You can only swallow doctrine I know who I am in Christ And not follow instructions Follow so liberal christians and legal christians are the problem of the church today those who don't know their liberty therefore they are in slavery in their christian life and those who know their liberty and have taken it to the extreme thinking there is nothing to do both of them is slavery so they have become lazy. All the disciplines they are supposed to follow. You know many Christians think that you are not supposed to force yourself to do much for the Lord. If not, Paul, would, see the apostle of grace will not write something like perseverance. He will never write something like striving. He will never write something like laboring. He will never write something like fleeing. Because Christ has fleed for you. Uh, 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 Please are you following this thing? Yes. so a christian can be praying because you don't understand this thing he can be praying at four o'clock a.m and he started five minutes and he's praying then he just goes back to, to bed and sleeps five minutes into prayer he doesn't understand that there's a place for fighting that sleep to be able to pray he doesn't know that it's a striving it's a striving paul calls it persevering of the saints we persevere, we break through it. So if an incident is preventing you from praying, turn it off and pray in the heat. If that is what is going to help you, if brushing your teeth is, brush it. If putting your leg in water is, do it. If nothing is, check your salvation. So there are many Christians who don't think that there is something like, you see, so, so this same reality can be put in two ways activism and apathy. Activism is what we call self-reliant activity. Self-reliant activity. That's activism. When you think it all depends on you. Then the second error is also what we call apathy. That is God-dependent passivity. The First one is self reliant, what activity it all depends on you. I must do, 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 do. The second error is also what apathy, which is what God reliant passivity. He says it's all God, therefore, I am passive, I'm waiting for Him, and that's where the error is. Remember, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is your role. Then the next verse in the 13 says, For it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do. So the first one tells you to work out. That's an instruction. The next one confirms that actually as we are in an effort of working out, it is God working through us. So listen, the Christian life is human effort depending on God. It is neither activism no apathy but human effort depending on God. So never say I am waiting for God to deal with pornography. It's a lie. You will wait for longer. I'm teaching good here. So you see the challenge has always been that you know, many Christians who came from a very serious law background you know, very serious law background, where the law was emphasized and a lot of people were living in condemnation. So the day they found the grace message they found the love of God. It was so good to be true. So when they embraced it they didn't understand the full counsel. And guess what happened? They veered off into liberalism. In an attempt to escape legalism many have veered up into liberalism that's like i can find some extreme grace people most of them started as law guys but even under the law they were praying well they were they were fasting well they were doing all the spiritual activities but of course it was from a wrong motivation now that they came to understand their liberty they thought it was all useless Instead of applying those same principles, he from a different motivation. Grace does two things for you. Titus 2.11. This will, this will help you. Grace does two things. Number one, it does salvation for you. It gives you salvation. Grace does two things. Work of grace. Number one is salvation. Number two is teaching. <laughs> Look at that. It says... Come to the verse 11. It says, for the grace of God. So he's telling us about grace. That bringeth salvation has what? Appeared to all men. In other words, all men is unbeliever and believer. It has appeared to all of us. So saving grace has appeared to all of us. This is not qualified. This is for all men. Are you following this thing? So the saving grace is for all men. Look at the next verse. Doing what teaching us. Who are the us? Who are the us? The church. It see, grace does not teach the world. It saves the world. But us, it teaches us because we are saved. So grace brings salvation to the world, but teaches us who have believed it and are saved. What does grace teach us? It teaches us that denying ungodliness. So there are people who think when you deny ungodliness, it is works and worldly lasts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Listen, if your life is not consistent with this, and you claim you have found grace, check that grace well. Because true grace will eventually teach you to deny ungodliness are you following this thing and worldly last that you should live self-control that's the word sober righteously godly in this present world look at the next verse Look, he says looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our savior Jesus Christ uh huh Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous for good works. So the end of grace is to make you what? Zealous for good works. Check your zeal. If your zeal is not intact, you have a grace problem. So if there is no zeal in your Christian work for God, I'm telling you. There is something that has affected the grace you are listening to. God is always against knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. God is against it. Zeal without knowledge. But he is for knowledge with zeal. So your zeal must be with knowledge. Are you following this thing? So what's the proof that you have truly been raised by grace? Zeal unto what? Unto you are not shouting as if you don't know this thing. Unto unto good works. So if I see a man living unto good works, I know this guy truly understands grace. He is a product of grace, not the one who says I am righteous irrespective of what I do, and he's sleeping with people. That's not grace. it was grass no you see many don't know that there is grace and there is cheap grace I want to explain cheap grace for you you can write it down cheap grace is grace without obedience cheap grace is grace without obedience cheap grace is grace without obedience number two Cheap grace is grace without responsibility. If you claim you know grace, just look at Apostle Paul's life. If your life is not consistent with his life, check the grace you are listening to. Because he labored more abundantly than all the apostles. You know Zacchaeus was a thief. And he encountered Jesus, right? Now, this thief encounters christ who is the exact image and expression of grace and truth when he had an encounter with jesus do you know what he did all the people he stole from he returned how many times four times whatever he stole from them this is a beautiful blueprint in other words, when you meet true grace grace makes your life four times better than you are when you are under the law so, if you are praying five minutes under the law, now grace, you should be able to pray 40 minutes. Okay, that's fine. Cheap grace is grace without accountability, it is grace without conviction and repentance. Finally, cheap grace is grace that acknowledges what Christ did from the cross to the throne, but denies or is soft on instructions or demands of Christ for obedience through discipleship. Let me explain that again. Cheap grace is grace that acknowledges what Christ did from the cross to the throne. It acknowledges it. I am happy. I am safe forever. I am forgiven. You acknowledge what Christ did. But you deny or you are very soft on instructions or demands of Christ for obedience. That's cheap grace. If your life is that way, you know, there are people who read the Bible to just check out what Christ has done for them. They don't need to check out what they are supposed to do in Christ I'm teaching good here I hope somebody's been blessed at all so now just to finish this thing, conclusion there is a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Ghost and the infilling of the Holy Ghost there is a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Ghost and the infilling of the Holy Ghost every Christian should understand this, please follow Follow The indwelling of the Holy Ghost Took place once In salvation When you believe Jesus Christ You were sealed with the Holy Ghost The Holy Ghost came to live in you Your body became his temple It happened once It will never happen twice It will never happen twice The Holy Ghost entered you The very day you received Jesus Christ So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit Happens once Infilling of the Holy Spirit happens constantly, and that's what people don't know. In Ephesians chapter 5, to verse 18, in amplified version, Ephesians 5:18. Now look at that in amplified. This will help you. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. So, this is a continuous work. The believer must ever be filled just like he must ever keep the fire burning. Are you following this? So, the indwelling is the person of the Holy Ghost in you. The infilling is the influence of his power in you and through you. So, we are to be filled with the Spirit constantly. We are to be ever filled. It's like fueling. So, he used wine. To explain this reality. When a man is filled with wine. He is controlled by the wine. That is how come he can see two lights coming. And think it's two motors, So he wants to pass in between. That's how come a drunken person. Can see a gutter. And yet think it's a road. And force into it. That's why a drunken man. Can spill out secrets. He's not supposed to spill out. That's how come a drunken man. Can insult his landlord. And regret in the morning because he thought he saw a demon. That's what wine can do. The wine tells you what to say, the wine tells you what to do. It controls you. Likewise, the Bible says, We should see you are controlled by whatever fills you. So, the Bible says, Instead of being drunk with wine and be controlled by the wine, you are to be filled with the Holy Ghost constantly. Because when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll be controlled by the Holy Ghost. And that's what they don't know. So the Holy Ghost can be in you, yet your life can be sickly. So if you, if you depend on the indwelling of the person of the Holy Ghost, without constant infilling of the Holy Ghost, trust me, you will have a difficult time living your Christian life. You did not have to pay any price to be indwelt by the Holy Ghost. In the Old Testament, they had visitation. The Holy Ghost came and went. In the New Testament, we have inhabitation. has come to stay the holy ghost does not come inside you and go out like a hotel room where he checks in and out in the new testament he has come to his home you are his headquarters on earth he's inside you forever but you see the holy ghost can be inside you and be as dormant and ineffective inside you when you don't understand what it means to be filled constantly with the spirit do you know the apostles in acts chapter 4 when they were persecuted, went into prayer and the Bible says, "Whilst they were praying, you can check Acts chapter 4, verse 29. These were people who already had the Holy Ghost. He says, And now, behold your threatenings and grant unto thy servants with all boldness that they may speak the word. They were praying. They had the Holy Ghost already. They were praying. Look at what happened in the next verse by stretching forth the hand to heal and that signs and wonders be done in the name of the holy child Jesus. Look at the next verse. And when they had prayed, so they did something. Their whole place was shaking where they were assembled together and they were, listen, in Acts chapter 2, they already had the piercing of the Holy Ghost indwelling them. In Acts chapter 4, they prayed and the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. How were they filled? And they spake the word of God with boldness. So the difference between the indwelling and the infilling is what you do in it. This, it is prayer that gives them boldness. In other words, if you are if you are timid or something keeps you afraid, prayer will change it. Check men of prayer; they don't fear anything. They don't fear anything. The more you increase in prayer, the more you increase in boldness. The things that dominated you begins to lose its hold on you. I'm telling you. Prayer gives you some boldness. You can't intimidate a man of prayer. A man who is intim- who has intimacy with God can never be intimidated by any man. A man who stands before God can stand before men. In feeling of the spirit. It's constant. It's constant. And there's something you do to have it happen. Listen to this. You can do three things to the Holy Spirit. And you Testament. Today I'm teaching you well. I can feel it. There are three things you can do to the Holy Spirit. Number one, you can grieve Him. Number two, you can quench Him. Number three, You can resist him. Let me explain. There are three things you can do to the Holy Ghost. It's all part of what we are teaching. Number one, you can what? Grieve him. Ephesians chapter 4, the verse 30. Watch this. And grieve not the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit of God, whereby he has sealed unto the day of redemption. So a believer can grieve the Holy Spirit. He can make him sad. Now, this grieving is referring to the person of the spirit. The person himself. You can grieve him. You can grieve his person. That's the first thing. Number two, you can quench the spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the verse 19. Watch it. Quench not the spirit. So the spirit can be quenched. Now, what does this mean? quenching the spirit is actually quenching his move through gifts of the spirit to others so this is the ministry of the spirit to others the first one of grieving the spirit is his person the second is his work through you to others that's through giftings you can quench it you can quench it number three you can resist him that's um. Acts chapter 7 verse 51 he says "Ye stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so do ye now to resist the Holy Ghost is to resist him from molding you into the image of Christ that is the work of the Holy Ghost in you please follow this So you can grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. You can quench the move of the Holy Spirit through you to others. And you can resist the Spirit in his work in you, in molding you to become like Christ. So the first one is centered on who? God. The second is centered on others. The third is centered on you. So with God, you can grieve him. With with the work of the Holy Spirit through you to others, you can quench it. How can you quench it for example all of a sudden the time is up and the holy ghost was leading me to minister something that will bless you and he says oh he's giving he is he, time is fast spent do you know something happened sometime ago we we're praying sometime and after we finished a 12-hour pray, prayer i was giving some announcement and i was i said something by the spirit i think somebody was angry and she just took the bag and left do you know what i, what I wanted to say when i saw that it quenched the spirit couldn't continue again imagine if there was somebody who something bad was about to happen to and as i was moved by the holy ghost when i saw that i felt no 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 they are offended then i stopped that person quenched the spirit that means he quenched the grace or the gift that was available through me to be a blessing to others he quenched it are you seeing that so that is to others then the third one is Resisting the spirit to resist me to stand in the way, so I believe I can stand in the word of the Holy Ghost. You have a burden to pray, and you say, I don't pray, I'm tired. You just resisted Him. And guess what? The more you resist the Holy Ghost, the more His voice becomes farther away from you. Because the moment you succeed in obeying the Holy Ghost instruction. He qualifies and promotes you for the next instruction. The more you reject and resist him, now his voice will not mean anything to you again. So he doesn't speak. Am I teaching good at all? So three things you don't do. You don't grieve the spirit, you don't quench the spirit, and you don't resist the spirit. When the believer becomes prayerless it's one of the signs that he's running dry or he's dried up you just check your life how many times do you pray When was the last time you prayed if i should ask on your own and you didn't feel anything wrong with it i was explaining to a, a church the other time about the essence of prayer in the life of the believer it's not a joke i'm telling you if you think prayer is just normal are playing you see the believer cannot but pray you see that's how a lot of believers are going through so so many uh, like unsurmountable issues and the thing has overwhelmed them do you know that you can have issues and live as though you don't have issues that difference is prayer so, without prayer, those issues will overwhelm you and dictate the pace of your life and how you talk, how you should move. I was explaining some concept to the church. I was telling them that, I mean, how many have watched wrestling before? Okay. Um, one, two, three, come. Um, let me. All right, man of God, please come. Let me explain something. How many have won tag team championship before? All right, please come. So two here, two there. Okay. No, 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 no. I just remembered I have to do that. Um, um, So uh, please come. Slim, you go and sit down. <laughs> this is what we are talking about. Uh, don't come here again. Okay. <laughs> Amen. All right. How many of us tag team champions? All right. So, the rules of tag team champions is that when, so both of you are going to fight, okay? Can you beat him? <laughs> no, I've been physical. I'll be, wait, i won't know. Can you beat him? Okay. <laughs> you are shy of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I right, Why? Let's go. <laughs> all right. So, please step outside a little. Aha. Uh-huh. And then these are the people fighting on the rules in tag team champions is that if these two people are fighting and this man this is the devil okay and these are the demons and your life struggles and your life issues and this is you and this is god <laughs> so imagine your life struggle the demons all the forces of darkness are fighting the wrestling remember in wrestling there are no rules you can use stick you can use wood you can use anything the only rule in a tactic tag team champions is that when you are being beaten okay so just behave as though you are beating him and put him on the ground no you are beating him and one and what problem why <laughs> so go down aha uh-huh. so as if you're so aggressive hey, 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 hey. When we finish, go and finish him. Okay. So you just be, you know, aha. So this man is being beaten. This is you. Now, and he managed to get some space, but the guy is weak. What should, should he do? This man or God has stretched his hands, right? So what you're supposed to do is what? You do what? That's the only thing to get him inside. To come and deal with this man, right? Listen, in the room. Crying does not bring him. Shouting, please come and help me. That's not with it. What is the rule? Tap. Tap him and see what happens. Finish him. <laughs> lift him, lift him for me. Lift him for me. <laughs> you may be seated. <laughs> Now, <laughs> next time when I call you, for example, you sit down, <laughs> amen. Now, now, are you getting this concept? The enemy, the demons were hitting this guy. Life issues, struggles, setbacks are hitting you this way, and you have been beaten by it. You are down. Listen, there is another partner the Holy Ghost, Jesus, the Father is the stronger man and you are weak you don't stay on the ground and say, I'm weak I'm weak, can't you see I'm weak there is a rule, just like a rules of prayer, until you invite him, he can't come so, he may be standing and willing with his hands stretched, but until you tap, how do we tap, by prayer time we pray we are acknowledging our weakness and our dying need of help by the strong man his name is jesus that's how god gets into our face and fights so a believer who says god so aren't you see what i'm going through doesn't understand the rules in fact it is when you are weak that you must pray it is when you are weak that you must fast it is when you are weak that you must read your bible it is when you are weak that you need to call on so there are many believers who are trying to cry thinking that god is emotional about their tears god is not moved by your tears he's moved by your faith and the one of the greatest demonstrations of faith is prayer because you believe in the god who solves problems that's why you pray so is one of the greatest activities of faith. Anytime you pray, you don't trust yourself again. You say, I can't do it. I'm waking myself to save myself. I'm waking myself to help myself. I don't know what is happening to me. When you pray, you are tapping. I say, God, I'm out of the system. Get into it. And get it done for me. That's why we pray. We pray. Anytime you pray, you say, I can't. Lord, I can't. I can't. God. And sometimes in prayer, all the problems may not be solved but there's peace that you you harvest. You glean some peace. That gives you the energy to go through. There are some problems God will not bring you out. He gives you grace to finish it. There are some problems he doesn't give you grace to finish it. He He gives you faith to go through it. Because some of them are life lessons. Let me tell you there's one great way you can learn quicker it's called pain. There's one great lesson in life. That makes you mature quicker. It's called pain. Apostle Paul mature through pain. Hunger, pain. Pain caused by people in your life. If you understand this thing, you will know that God allows pain to mature us. There are some problems you can go through. eh? I'm telling you, it seems nobody is there to help you. Keep praying. Out of it, God is maturing you. He's strengthening your muscles. I'm telling you, whatever you're going through, God is using you to prepare you for something bigger. That's how we learn. We learn through pain. So if a believer wants to escape pain, today you can't, ask, you can't even afford one square, one square meal per day. Today, you, there is no money. You can't even pay your school fees. That pain of rejection, God is using it to mature you. Because in that pain, you acknowledge your weakness and you're always with him in prayer. As you are with him, he's transforming you. As you are with him, he's molding you. As you are with him, he's giving you instructions. As you are with him, he's re energizing you. As you are with him, he's renewing your strength. As you are with him, he's mounting you with wings. As you are with him, he's teaching you how to run. As you are with him, he's teaching you to walk. As you are with him, he's teaching you how to face life. A man, when he realizes that his child has become comfortable, he will push him out of the nest for him to go down and learn how to fly. There are some of you, you may think that is the devil doing something to you. I'm telling you, it is God who's pushing you out of your nest. He's teaching you how to fly because there's an eagle in you. Oh, yeah. Lift your voice and begin a prayer. Lift your voice and begin to pray.